Welcome back to the Word Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Kayla Parker, and this is the finale for season five. We've had a great season discussing what the post-pandemic future work will look and feel like and how we in commercial real estate can create places that people want to go to when they're not choosing to work from home. Places that support and champion great company cultures, experiences where we feel taken care of, communities where we feel we belong. So I thought it would be fitting to have my friend Ian Minder join me to put the exclamation point at the end of this season. In this episode, we learn why hotels are poised to take market share from office buildings. Ian shares the ingredients that created success for working from the Hoxton's co-working brand. But offices can certainly compete for customers. We discuss two of the five pillars of space as a service, hospitality and community, and why they will be the differentiators that will transcend the old location, location, location mantra. Get your calculators out as Ian dives into the financial modeling to make it all work. It takes a village. A vertical village, that is. And to curate that village, we must become media-driven organizations, especially in the age of social media. Finally, Ian spills the beans on a new work, rest, and play upscale space-as-a-service brand in Scotland. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. This season, we've said, asking how do we get back into the office is the wrong question. The right question is, can the office become a place people want to go to? I believe the answer is yes, if we create experiences that support good company cultures. And that's what I'm focused on at Bold. I find this chat with Ian inspiring, and I think you will too. Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Board Bold Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Ian Miner, Chief Operating Officer for Neospace, an upscale space-as-a-service brand in Aberdeen, Scotland, offering a work, rest, and play concept. Ian is a future of work and hospitality specialist who partners with CEOs, enterprises, and startups to create inspiring collaborative workspaces and hospitality operations from concept development and design through project management to operation. Committed to developing destination experiences where members can get on with the work that matters, Ian is regarded as a thought leader who develops and operates the very best of collaborative member workspaces. I met him when he was director of co-working for Innismore, the company who owns the Hoxton brand, where he led the creation of Working From, Hoxton's own co-working product. Welcome to the Workbowl Podcast, Ian. Thank you, Caleb. It's a pleasure to be here, my friend. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I'm so excited for everybody to hear from you today. And I want to start off by saying how much I appreciate what you do. When I was first creating the Bold brand back in 2016, for a couple of years, I spent many hours working from the Hoxton before there was ever a standalone co-working product. And I took a lot of inspiration for Bold from the interior design and the hospitality and most importantly, the feeling that I got like I was welcomed, whether... I came there for a cup of coffee, for a short meeting, or if I worked there several hours on my laptop. And Ian, we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of years, and I recently participated on a panel at the IHIF conference in Berlin with Keith Evans, a former colleague of yours during your time at Hoxton, and he speaks highly of you, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, Keith's wonderful, super smart, but Ian, I've gotten to know your creations very well over the years, so I've got a 
really excited about this episode today. And my first question for you, though, do you think hotels will actually take market share from office buildings? I think that's a really interesting question. But I think with that one, I feel that we are looking at a whole new way of work and life and how the whole thing's going to blend together. So I do think that you're going to start seeing probably the high rise towers have a combination of a number of things. One could be and still will be the office world, residential, but as well as retail and that retail section could well be hotels so i think yeah i think i think if we look at the 15 minute city kind of concept so with chicago developing an area there where you've got the the 15 minute city element i think it works very well to combine your home life your leisure life and your work life all in one so i think we probably will see a lot more hotels taking up elements within the office environment and actually putting that whole piece together yeah, I agree with you. And that was the topic of this panel that I was on in Berlin with Keith. And we we're talking about the hotelification of spaces. And there's this whole work from anywhere movement, the hybrid working movement that's happening. And I think what we're expecting is a certain percentage of the workforce will work from home. Some will come into the office, but the majority of people will work in a variety of ways. And sometimes that's not from home or the office, but somewhere in between. And we couldn't open, as, as across our company, we couldn't open up locations fast enough close to where people live, but the hotels are already there. So it just makes sense that they would be able to accommodate some of these workers. Yeah, and I think to add to that, there's certain hotels out there, obviously the Hoxton being a perfect one where one of the first things they do is build around the community. So they just want to get that emotional connection with the community to make the lobbies of hotels busy and buzzing and hybrid lobby culture. And then from there, once you build that base in the community, it's quite logical. And it was a very logical move, I think, for the Hoxton to develop working from because it was added onto the whole life piece and work today, office life, it is part of life. And I think the hospitality side coming into that is going to be a crucial player moving forward. Well, I want to dive into that and we're going to come on to community a little bit more in a moment. But, you know, it's long been believed in commercial real estate that location, location, location is what makes an office building desirable. Before we did this episode, I posted on LinkedIn that I was hosting an episode on hospitality and community. And if you had any questions, comments, or send me a message so we can bring this into the conversation. And John Priest, who's the uh, chief product officer down at Hub Australia, he said in the comments, a hospitality led service overlay will be one of the defining success factors of commercial office asset moving forward. Four walls with nice finishes simply won't cut it and occupiers expect a lot more from their landlords. And if you set aside flexibility, he says that this has been one of the primary driving forces in the growth for good flex space operators recently. Those who provide great service and an amazing experience, not just space because, well, anyone can do just space. But Ian, as we come out of this pandemic, how important is hospitality going to be for office landlords? I think hugely important. I think it's going to be the prime driver. I believe that if you were to look, okay, location, 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 that was fine when everything was just location. But I think if you put hospitality into location as an add-on, then you're playing at a different level. And I think if you look at everything now, we've got hospitality in restaurants, in bars, in nightclubs, in theaters, in health clubs. Hospitality is a major part of our lives now. So why should hospitality not be in the office life? I think it's logical. 
all. And I think now that there's a number of players that have hospitality as one of the main drivers, one of, let's say, one of four key pillars with the operation of what you do, everyone's going to want it. Added to that, I think what we're playing at now is a life where we're trying to find ways to bring people back to a central point or back to an office or a third space away from working from home. That's obviously what operators we're trying to do. So you have to become a destination experience now. People have to want to go through the commutes to get somewhere special to make them feel good for the day. And that is all driven through hospitality, something that makes you feel good, something where everything in there is about being hospitable. The typical or the traditional office life before where it was just four walls and you just created your own hospitality through the teams that you actually would work with. I think that's just not enough now. And it's all about building community, having the hospitality within the space, beautiful design, highly tech-led, all with the community and hospitality at its core. 100%. And you talked about the pillars. And in, in, in our company, we call it delivering the five pillars of space as a service. And one of those pillars is hospitality. The second pillar is community, which is what you touched on. And every time I worked from Hoxton, I felt like I belonged there. It felt like I was surrounded by people like me. And Dave Cairns over in Canada, our mutual friend, he commented on my LinkedIn post saying that prior to the WeWork effect, there was really no such thing as buildings driving community. But what did we work get setting aside the stuff that they got wrong? What did they get right? How can we give employees the gift of not only a community with their own colleagues, but also a broader ecosystem? And he sort of challenges, if we do get this right, what could some of the broader positive implications be. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think with with WeWork, they opened the door for many of us. They started a movement back then in 2012, 2013, probably around about then. And I think they started something where they opened up everyone's eyes where there's more to the office life than what it traditionally was prior to that. Then you have guys like yourself, you, you have Dave talking about it a lot and a lot of thought leaders out there which are trying to really push the boundaries of where we're trying to take it now. I think community is the most crucial thing. So when I'm looking to try and build a space. And I think Hoxton do it naturally, by the way, I think it's just one of their natural skill sets, particularly, especially in London, where everybody knows the Hoxton hotels, and they just have an open door policy. So their open door policy means that you can go into a Hoxton lobby, you can bring a coffee from somewhere else, if you really want to sit there, open up your laptop and work away, and no one will say anything to you. That's for them built a base of fans, people that were emotionally connected to them as a brand, so that when it came to them expanding, it was a natural thing that people would would be drawn to them in other cities that they went to. So community is crucially important. And I think to build community, to start off with what you need to do is build your content. And building your content for me comes all around programming and events and things that you do inside the building to actually build the interest. So community is hugely important. And when I'm looking at spaces, I look at the membership base that I have within the space, but I look at the community outside the building and what can we do? What can we give to the local community to actually improve it and make it better, help it grow, bringing the young entrepreneurs from the city, bring them into the space and just develop them that way and keep pushing that community feel. And if you keep doing that, that will make you a very interesting space uh, and a place to operate within. When you talk about the programming and the events and the content, I wonder if we could dive in a little bit more, particularly around who you target and build that for. In your experience, are you thinking about what that personality is, who they work for, or what industry they're in? Or how do you view this and get started from the very beginning of building this ecosystem to curate the community? I think there's a number of things you can look at for that. One, yes, of course, you can look at the target market that you want. Obviously, within Aberdeen, it's an oil and gas energy city. 
So it's very easy for us to hit the oil and gas um, sector if we wanted to. But at the same moment in time, I'm also interested to find out what topics are out there at the moment. And of course, one of the biggest ones is wellness within the workspace, the future of work. We're all talking about it because it's right there right now. So I would be looking at putting together content right now based on those kind of things. So I would look at bringing in wellness, the future of work, and how does that operate within the oil and gas sector? I know then I can get a lot of interested people to the space if I've got some good speakers on. But at the same moment in time, I want it to be a topic which is going to mean something to the local community. So we look at that kind of thing. So the content on that front is the first thing that we look at. We look at the, uh, the subject at hand and the industries that actually surround us. Leading on from that, we then have to look at with the content, how are we actually working around it? You know, is it streamed? Have we got videographers in there? What kind of content can we pull from that that we can push out? then afterwards to the community we can look to add on people that are not members to the space build the interest within the building and then keep doing that on a monthly basis whenever we're putting on the events or the programming we're not looking to make a sale from it we're not looking to gain members we're just looking to gain interest on a deep psychological level with the people of the area that's what helps build the community it's what helps build an emotional connection to the people of the community once you've built that emotional connection you then have them as a fan technically hopefully once you've got that level people then are just naturally drawn to what you do once they're drawn to what you do they want to join and they want to work from the space so it's a slow burn it takes a lot of time to work this route but it is a good way of doing it because you tend to then find that the people that will align themselves with you are the right kind of people for your space there's a couple things i heard from that number one you're not transactional obviously you're hoping to get to a transaction at some point I assume, but this is not just a transaction that you're trying to have happen. Number two, you're not an office space company or a media company. It sounds like you're um, talking about live streaming content and bringing in the right speakers. This sounds like an events and media company to me. I think if you were to, uh, the reason why I go down that route is because years ago I was involved with the guys, the guys from Neuer House. One of the, the things that they did with their membership base in New York was one day the IT director, who was a keen videographer went into the space, set up his video camera and started videoing some of the members that were happy for this to happen just in their daily work route. The founder came in when this was happening, didn't know this was actually happening. And he said, Brian, what's what's the video camera doing up here? Oh, you know what? I'm just videoing some of the members in their day-to-day work. He just turned around and said, that's cool and carried on. That first thing of the video and the content that it started to build and the interest that it started to build in the community there led on to their program and events being a whole production. Then they get known for that end as well. So it is a production. It is media. Yes, of course it is. But it's bringing people interest. And at the end of the day, the end outcome are members within your space. And for me, it's always about the members. It's about building that workplace with the curious kind of people that want to be members to your operation that you have there and then building on that. And if you build that base of curious members that align with your way of thinking or your culture, you don't need to worry about selling a lease or a year's contract because what happens is here, they're committed to you already so that you can just say it's a rolling month by month membership. Now, I am also transactional because that part has to has to play the game. There's always the transactional piece to play. But I think it's also about finding the balance because I think if you sell too much, you come across that way way too keenly. And I think you have to dial it back a little bit, build it naturally. And then as Simon Sinek would say, you're in this infinite game. So 
I think there's a long journey. It's a slow burn, but it's a good way of building your membership base, building your community and just filling your space with the right kind of people for that operation that you actually have. Well, I like that. We are in the day of social media and Instagram and selfies and lots of content being produced on TikTok, which I'm not even on. But I'm not uh, <laughs> on it. Don't ask me to get there because it'd be terrible. I'd probably get five followers if I'm lucky. Well, I think um, you'd be surprised from what I hear, but the algorithm works in mysterious ways. But Personally, I am on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and to some extent Facebook, but I, I think we are in this day and age where becoming a media-driven or, or content-conscious organization is important. Mm. And as you say, these are members who are fans who are aligned with what you stand for as an organization. And I think, to me, that's what companies should be setting up to attract the right talent. So if you're attracting people and organizations that are all aligned with what you're aiming to accomplish, then then that sounds to me that even if they're on flexible terms, the lifetime value of those members is going to stick around for a good long while. Absolutely. Okay. Sounds great. But can we talk about the cost of creating all this? Yeah, of course we can. What do you want to know about the cost of creating this? <laughs> you well, want to know the, the price per square foot and all well, these kind of things or? Well, I mean, certainly that would vary from market to market and yeah. so forth. But I think more around the principles that you deploy. How are you thinking about this when you're trying to figure out whether the business case works to deliver? Sure. Well, I think that, I think I can probably talk on the experience with Ennismore on that. Now, when I joined the guys, that there was a 10-year investment case and it was built around a certain model. And the certain model they actually had developed for them at that moment in time was very much service office-led. So I didn't feel that was the Hoxton. It didn't feel like it was a product that they would really truly want to put onto the market. For me, they were all about the community. They were all about more independence or small companies. They weren't really about a big commercial push or, or, or that kind of market. So I first started looking at the 10-year investment case that we had with those guys and tried to put out a, a product that I thought would sit well with the Hoxton brand. And again, it was more membership-based than an actual lease-based model. The price point as well was crucially important. The actual amount of money invested comes into play. So where they had a certain amount that they were investing in each location, and then they had a payback on that. And they had a steady state after three years. I needed to bring all of these points together and put together a, a business plan where by developing working from and the way that that piece operates would actually pay back in the same way that the original business case would do. Just to be clear, Ian, this was a standalone P&L from the Hoxton Hotel P&L. Yes, standalone. So it's its own separate entity in that sort of sense. Even though both locations, and we're talking about Chicago in Fulton Market, and we're talking about Southwark, the Southwark location in London, they were both in the hotels, but they had their own separate build costs and everything like that, their own budget along all those kind of, kind of lines. And they had their own project management team looking after it. The interior design team and all these guys were still working actually from the from any small from the Hoxton. So I had a huge head office team that were helping with, with developing those side of things. And they looked after the interiors, the layouts. But what I did was I simply just changed the membership model. So where they had purely literally just offices, I brought in different concepts there. So we had the open studios, which was already there. They had the offices and the open studios, which are your dedicated desks. So to be clear, you'd have a, a private studio, which is a six-person, a 10-person, or a 24-person office. You'd have your dedicated desks, which were the open studios. They were already there. But what we added on top was the hot desk options or you know the drop-in kind of pay-as-you-play options there. We put a lot more of those memberships in there where you would simply just drop in and use the space two, three times a week. And we pushed a lot more on that, plus an evening membership as well. 
by pulling all these elements together, we managed to match the original investment case against the investment that was put in. And then we worked the operational budget towards that. Now, when I talk about the operational budget, this is quite a big thing as well, because operationally, I tend to put in things which are more expensive to do because I want to bring in the hospitality element. And from what I've seen in the past, there isn't really a a staff cost percentage against revenue typical to the market because most places would have a handful of team members working the space, but you need a team, you need a hospitality team that can actually truly deliver hospitality. So I had to put forward a case where I'm bringing in a lot more team members against the original case and how that piece will play out as well. So I set that into play. Coming from the hospitality industry, just to quickly try and gauge this for anyone that might need to know and what I'm talking about. Typically, if you're running a nightclub, you might expect your staff cost percentage against revenue to be about 13%. But if you're working a five-star hotel, it might be close to 28%. So you've got to find the range that is going to work well within this new model of hospitality within an office space. So I was gearing that in around about 14, 15%, which worked well against the actual revenue models we were putting forward. So you've got these elements to take into account. So the operational side of things that I would do tends to be heavier purely because of the number of staff that I need to operate the space. And that's how I would make the whole piece work. So without going into actual figures, because I don't really think I can actually do that, they're the considerations I would have. And then that would be put forward to the board or any board that I'm working with to be signed off on. And then we've got a business plan and we're moving forward on it. It all gears in as well as how quickly we're going to sell the desks because that still comes into play. But there's other elements there as well. Yeah, of course. And it's the desk helps sell the F&B and then the events help sell the F&B. And then the uh, the F and B actually helps close the deal on the on the desk themselves. And the absolutely, so. it's all part of it. It all works together. It all works the same way. All of your F and B revenue, I tend to consider that as being secondary spend. Your membership is the primary spend. The good thing with this industry is once you've got your desk utilization levels to where you want them to, you know roughly what you're earning pretty close on the F and B element. It's all the bolt-ons that you're making on top. And I think that's probably what a lot of people would miss how much extra you can make from that. And so that is why it's always good to have people from the hospitality industry in this game because they're used to working those kind of figures and those kind of operations. But to the folks in the commercial real estate industry who have been doing this for a long time where it hasn't been as operationally intensive and the revenue is guaranteed longer term through through a lease vehicle, when we're talking about bringing in all of these operational aspects and the revenue being incremental on a daily basis, how do you address that? Why would they not just find a tenant and lease it to them at the standard lease terms. Exactly. Why would they? I think that's a really tricky one to answer, Caleb, isn't it? Because yeah, they want to work along those same kind of models that they've always worked along. But the truth of the matter is, I just don't think you can anymore. We are seeing so many office buildings in all the major cities just being empty. Aberdeen up here, there's so many empty locations. It's quite scary. So it's quite clear that we need a different way of operating. We need to work on this kind of a hybrid model. When I'm talking about hybrid, for me, it's a dynamic multifunctional space with community at its core. And that's what hybrid means to me. You could look at a lot of the huge office uh, blocks. We could talk about places in London, but you don't need to have the whole of that building within the kind of model that I might prefer. You could have a certain percentage of the actual building traditional lease. You could have some of it residential. I think you've got to be looking at buildings now to be multifunctional, as I'm saying. The lower levels where you need the buzz and you you need that lobby culture, the ground floor levels or in the first levels, these can be sent out or I think put out to yourself, me and the other operators out there on the market that know how to activate space. 
if you activate the space, I think those traditional leases that you have above would probably sell easier because you've got some of these really cool operators on the lower levels where they will then come down to all of the F&B outlets that we can put in there. Even the co-working element, you could have your head office in your traditional lease on floor 10 to 12. You might want a third space down levels one and two or ground where we've got our operations in there to allow people just to drop in and, and use it more on a casual basis or monthly as you go. So I think there's many different ways that the actual landlords can play the game. But I think that they've got to be more open to the market and the way it's going and the way it's trending to actually give everyone what they really truly want. And they, they want these functional, multifunctional dynamic spaces. That's what people I think really crave for now. And if we're going to bring them back into the major cities, as I said, it's a destination experience. They've got to want to commute. I think it's the commute, which is the biggest problem for most people now. They just don't like the commute. Once you're there, if it's got nice design, if it's got a solid base with it, as it's got a good following, if it's a good brand, if it's got the hospitality added to it, it's got the tech end to it as well. Why would they not want that to take up part of their building? I think they really all should want to do that. Well, I think it's bringing the conversation full circle back to the conversation around location. And what you said is that you could have an area that people desire and you have a a few different options in that area. So the location tick, but the ones who bring in these five pillars of spaces and service or the hospitality in the community in a fully integrated way, those are going to be the more desirable locations. So it's not just location, it's also what else are you providing? And that's to me the future. Thank you for for giving us some insight into your brain. I think um, <laughs> it's a bit foggy at times. I admit. <laughs> Depending on what time of day, I suppose. Ian, so let's talk about Neospace then. I want to hear about this work, rest, play concept that you're working on. Sure. Well, I think when I found out about these guys, uh, some very interesting and, and great founders we've got with us here, this work, rest, play concept, I think really rung true with me. Many, many years ago, I used to work in the health club sector. That's probably where I first started understanding and learning this membership model going back many years when health clubs were expensive back in the late 90s. So I don't want to get too much into that because it's going to be giving away too much of my actual age, which is something I'm not that happy about anymore. But so I think when I saw an option with a company that really wanted to expand a lot to get to an awful lot of locations, but they wanted to bring in a serviced office element. They wanted to bring in all the lounges. They wanted to bring in a fully equipped gym into the space with F&B operations, its own separate meeting room led by real high-end tech. It seemed to be something there that was ticking all of the boxes, something that that we could really mold and scope into a truly exciting brand. Yeah, Neospace, I started with these guys in April uh, of this year. We opened in Aberdeen in May, so there wasn't too much time to get the operational level together, um, but we've been working on that. That's been a work in progress. And then we're just going through the uh, proof of concept stage, which is going well. And then we're going to start to look at how the rollout model works. And we've just started the early stage conversations on that now. So we're ready to push out onto the market, but it's an extremely exciting brand where we have all of the community events we're building into as well. We just did our official launch evening on Tuesday of last week, which is all about wellness in the workplace, which is interesting. And yes, that's Neospace in a nutshell. We have obviously the office spaces in there. We have a fully equipped gym with steam room with sauna. We have Skill Bike Studio, which is part of the techno gym setup. Obviously, 
obviously all of the gyms, Techno Gym, we've got an aerobic studio, we've got a juice bar, we've got uh, six meeting room spaces with a pantry area to it. We've got a golf simulator, we've got desk memberships, as well as all of the office space as well, and all the lounges and barista bars. What size is the building? It's around about, it's 55,000 square foot. Okay. And is what you describe is across the whole space, or are there traditional leases in the building as well? No, it's over the whole space, over the whole space. It's something brand new for Aberdeen, so it's a brave move for us to try Aberdeen first, but we felt... I might, I might call it a bold move. It's, you, you know what? I think we can. I think we can call it a bold move. We can definitely call it a bold move. Very good. I like that. So for this extremely bold move that we did, we felt if we can make this one work in Aberdeen, then we can probably take it anywhere. And that's how it's starting to look. I think by the time January comes around, we've got a lot of people that are looking to join up and, and sign their membership agreements to start in January, February time. So by then, I think we'd be close to occupancy levels, which should be great considering the climate that we're in. And then we just go from there. That sounds exciting. Super exciting with the combination of the work, rest, and play. Do you see that your customer, you mentioned gas, oil and gas earlier, are your primary members going to be employees of the oil and gas companies or is it going to be a diverse mix? What's the expectation? We're trying to push for a diverse mix. What we try and do with the spaces or when we're trying to sell memberships, we try to look at about 10 different industries on average and then try and get about a 10% blend on each one of them so that we've got a nice diverse mix of members. But it's fair to say the majority of the inquiries are either oil and gas energy companies or those that are linked to them, like the tech end side of things that are linked to them as well. There's a huge thing up here for wealth management as well. So we're getting quite a few wealth management companies coming forward. But the natural, the majority of the actual organic inquiries we get in probably are majority oil and gas. And across the 55,000 square feet and the various layers of service and hospitality that you're providing, how many members will you support once you reach whatever your optimal occupancy is? We have 570 desks that we can fill within the space and within the gym area. We're treating that pretty much as a separate uh, membership option as well. The gym could hold up to a thousand members. So in total, we can get to about one and a half thousand members within the space. Wow. I think we could probably go into a lot of granular questions and details on that, but we don't have time. So I would certainly recommend anyone reaching out to Ian directly on LinkedIn with any specific questions, if you're willing to take them. <laughs> you know what? I, I know I need to get much more active on LinkedIn. I keep looking to try and do that, but I'm just no way near as, as solid on that as your game is, Caleb, and as well as Dave. You guys are just pushing the boundaries extremely well. So at the moment, I seem to be a, a keen follower of, of you and Dave and a number of others on LinkedIn, and it's great to have that community there. And I think the knowledge base between all of these guys and girls on LinkedIn is fantastic. I know I need to be doing more things on there, but I just don't seem to have the time. Well, you know, that's the thing. It's uh, We all have day jobs as well, so uh, it's difficult to, to keep it consistent, but it's been it's been great to engage with you in those chats sometimes. Thank you again. I really appreciate you sharing your insights. I, I'd like to move into the quick fire round, if that's okay. And so my first question for you, Ian, is who in our industry, the whole future of work or commercial real estate conversation who inspires you i think there's a few you know i think i've got to put uh, a word out to you i've got to put a word out to dave Carnes. i've got to put a word out to anthony slumbers draw poleg these guys you know i've got to put a word out to jamie russo over in america there's a number of people that i think are really pushing the boundaries and leading the topics here. So I would say off the top of my head, those five to start with. Great choices in there. And I'm glad you threw in Jamie. She is really doing a great job of helping educate operators around the US and beyond. Okay, number two, what podcast or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest industry trends? 
I do listen to yourself and I do listen to Jamie. They're the two people, the two main people I actually listen to. So Jamie Russo, yeah, I listen to a lot of the things that she does. And of course yourself, they're the two main ones that, that I'm listening to purely because of the level of the content that comes out. I like listening to Tushar as well. He's a you know, super intelligent guy from Hubble. I think he's been on some of your podcasts, but any media stuff that he puts out there, I love to get on there because he's very much data driven. Yeah, no, I have mad respect for Tushar and what he's doing with Hubble. And he just shared on LinkedIn, very intimate topic recently on you know how they weathered the the pandemic and it's been difficult for everyone he was very open and transparent with how they navigated the the rough waters but thank you for mentioning us and thank you for listening of course ian no worries (laughs) the last question is where is your favorite holiday destination i think i haven't been on holiday for such a long time and i spent 18 months of my career working in india and i didn't even get to tour around much of india when i was there but I'd have to say one that has fond memories for me, and this is probably going to sound so, so typical, but it's Cancun, Mexico, loved it there. And, and so I, I'd love to go back there. Oh, yeah. No, this is, Cancun is great. And I don't mean for spring break, just uh, the whole Tulum area and seeing the iguanas and the water is amazing. And then, fantastic. of course, if you go to the all-inclusive place, that's even fun, too. If you don't if you don't drink too much in the sun. But I try not to anymore, you know? I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not too much into drinking at all, so I think I'll be pretty safe there. Excellent. Ian, thank you so much. Be sure to connect with Ian on LinkedIn. Um, looking forward to uh, seeing you in person again soon. And until next time, everyone, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. This podcast was produced by a podcast company. If you'd like to find out how we can help you with your podcast, simply email jason at apodcastcompany.com and check out our website at apodcastcompany.com.